new sermon series in the month of February at, uh, and be, I mean, you know, why not Valentine's Day is month, this month, so we're going to focus on an old-fashioned love song. And we're actually going to look at one of the oldest sort of love songs that uh, we have access to, and that is the Song of Solomon, or the Song of Songs. And, and, uh, and so this is one of those sort of, you made your own beds, and now you have to sleep in it kind of situations, because I have never in my life had the opportunity to preach on the Song of Solomon, and so I thought, this will be fun. And I started working on the sermon series, and I was like, this will be awesome. And then I sat down to actually, sat down to actually write the first sermon, and I thought, ooh, <laughs> I have a lot of potential to make some mistakes this morning. So uh, welcome, children, to worship today as we talk about the Song of Solomon. Um, it's an interesting book. It's a unique book in all the books of Scripture. It really is. There's nothing quite like it. Um, the content of this book is unique, and... Um, and not everyone quite knew what to do with this book in the history of the church. And, and so a lot of people um, actually would sort of avoid it altogether. So like uh, in, in Judaism, when they would like study the scriptures and memorize the Torah, like one of the last books they were allowed to read was the Song of Solomon because of what was inside of this book. And in fact, I love, I love what some of the church fathers, early church fathers, a say about the Song of Solomon. In fact, I love what Origen says about this book. He says, I advise and counsel everyone who is not yet rid of the vexations of the flesh and blood and has not ceased to feel the passions of this bodily nature to refrain from reading the book and the things that will be said about it. Origen. <laughs> so unless you vexed your your passions of your body. This is not a book Origen would recommend you read. <laughs> and so it's interesting. What do, you, what do you do with this book? And so when people read it, if they're not avoiding it altogether, there's really sort of only two directions you really see a lot of people go, and we kind of stand in the middle here at this church. But one is, a lot of people, when they approach the book of Song of Solomon, they, they choose to read it and interpret it as allegorical or, or symbolic. And so it just represents something else. And, and when we read the text here in a little bit, I'll point it out to you how this works. But, uh, but they'll, they'll read something in the text, and it's not really about wanting to kiss the kisses of his mouth. It's not. It's about something else altogether. Okay? And so everything in the book of the Song of Solomon points to something in the future, points to Jesus. And, and so you'll see a lot of commentaries and interpreters sort of draw this out. Then there are those that view it literally, and they say, honestly, it's not about anything in the future. It's literally like, what you read is what you get, and what you get is exactly what this is about. <laughs> and so, buckle up. And, and really, um, we kind of view it as both. We view it as both literal and allegorical or symbolic. And what I mean by that is, like, we, we read the Song of Solomon, like, we believe it's real, like, this is something that happens and happened, but also because all of Scripture points us to Jesus, it's perfectly acceptable to see how some of the way the language is and some of the imagery used does point us to something even greater than what's happening in the text itself. And so the Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, it's, it's a lot to unpack. And so we're going to read a little bit of it this morning. We're going to read Song of Songs chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 and 8 through 11. So you can follow along in your own Bible if you want to. I have the words on the screen if it's helpful. I'm reading the ESV. And what I want to point out is in the original text, um, 
there are not certain cues or markers that you'll see in your Bible or in a Bible app. And, and that's because in the original language in Hebrew, you can kind of infer easier, but in English, we have to be a little more explicit. And, and what I mean by that is you would read sections of this, and they would conjugate and translate the nouns and the verbs in a way that you knew it was masculine or feminine or what I'm going to say, other, okay? And so when you read this, you'll see headings in your Bible maybe that says she and he and others. And it reads kind of like a Greek play. And I don't know if you've read any Greek plays in a while, but you'll, you'll read a little bit about what's going on, and then the chorus will come in and provide sort of commentary to what you're reading. And so that's kind of how this book reads. You, you hear some words from the woman, you hear some words from the man, and, and sort of scattered in between it all, you get a little bit of the chorus or the other people that are observing what's happening, and they sort of contribute to the conversation. All right? Let's do this. So the first is she. She speaks. And what does she say? Well, in the Song of Songs, which is Solomon, she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chamber. And so I just want to point out, like, here's how people would interpret this allegorically. Like, if I go back one slide, it says, for your love is better than wine, your anointing oils are fragrant. So people would say, oh, this is symbolic of Jesus, because Jesus later in the New Testament, he is anointed with oil by the woman with her hair, and, and he's anointed to his death on the cross. And, and, and the wine, it reminds me of his first miracle when he turned the water into wine at the wedding of Cana, or even at his last supper. And so they would say, this is sort of pointing us to the future where, where, where he is present in this significant way. And we say, yeah, it can totally be that. It does point us to Christ. And, and like I said, uh, uh, she, she just wants him to kiss her with his mouth. And that's okay too, okay? So it's both and. So this happens. She talks about how she wants to kiss him and and how he's fragrant, smells good, all these things. And then the others break in the chorus. And they say, we will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. And so they're observing the interaction between this woman and this man. And she's like, oh, I want him to kiss me with the sweet kisses of his mouth. He smells good. I like this guy. And the chorus comes in, the others come in, and they basically say, you go, girl. <laughs> go for it. Truly. Like, we rejoice in this. Go for it. We, we exalt this love. Do it. Go for it. Okay. And then he breaks in. And what does he say? He says, if you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock in the pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tent. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your necks with strings of jewels. And what do the others do? They break in and again and they say, we will make for you ornaments of gold and studded with silver. They're basically all in. They, they want this to happen as much as the man and the woman do. 
They're like, let's do this. So not only you, he's recognizing how beautiful you are, and we're going to give you jewelry, and we're going to make you ready for this. And so it's just interesting, the text, and I, and I sort of reflect on this, and I mean, again, you know, the man is taking time to compliment her and acknowledge and recognize her beauty. And I love this, because a week from tomorrow, it's Valentine's Day, right? And so I'm giving you some some tips already, gentlemen. Uh, when you go on your date with your wife or your girlfriend, um, um, look her in the eye and tell her she reminds you of a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Her cheeks are lovely like ornaments. <sighs> yeah? You know, it seems really ridiculous, but like, again, contextually, this is a good compliment. There's lots of fun stuff in the Song of Solomon about this. Like, you have hair like a goat. And your cheeks are like pomegranates. Lots of wonderful compliments you can sort of glean from the Song of Solomon and uh, work on your Valentine's Day cards, okay? And so this is, this is meant to be celebrated, and this is about a love that's coming together that's sort of encouraged by other people who are observing what's happening between this man and the woman. And what this speaks to and elevates is courtship and marriage. And so here's the thing with the Song of Solomon, and here's the thing with the content of this book, is that a lot of times we tend to fall off on two sides of the spectrum when it comes to some of this content. Um, on one side is sort of, the, sort of the origin side, the church father's side, which is, let's, not, let's just not go there. <laughs> let's not talk about it. Um, the physical nature of things is a little bit too explicit for us. And so we know it's there, but let's just, you know, let's not hear the pastor talk about it, because that's weird, right? And then on the other end of the spectrum is kind of the, the cultural end of the spectrum, which really, really is the opposite in a lot of ways. It's anything goes, truly. I mean, it, it can be all physical, and not at all intimate or about a relationship or spiritual in any way. And so we sort of have these two sort of different perspectives of looking at it, and, and the Song of Solomon is sort of pulling us back to the middle ground as we reflect on what God is teaching us and, and calling us to learn in this book. And it does. It, it, it hearkens back to Genesis with Adam and Eve, and, and God created Adam, and he said, it's not good for man to be alone, and so what does he do? He creates woman, and he creates woman so he's not alone, and it says that they, they come together, and the two become one flesh. This is real. <laughs> and not only is it a, a physical merging of man and woman, it's a spiritual one too. And this is what the Song of Solomon points us to and directs us to, is the acknowledgement that when it comes to courtship and marriage, it's, it's not only spiritual, but it's very physical. It's real. And so what you see in this text is you see sort of the, and you see this as you read through the Song of Solomon, you see the man and the woman sort of speaking to and complimenting each other, and you kind of see the build up, and you see the people watching on sort of encouraging it and excited about what's, to happen, what's about to take place and what's about to happen um, but, it's, but it's intentional, it's a process, it's done in love. And so Song of Solomon says, stands sort of counter to culture in the sense that in a lot of ways, I was thinking about this, like, you know, I just barely missed um, the dating app era, like 
like I was done by the time all the apps started coming out. And I thank, thank God every day for that. Um, because what, what shifted is it went from this like courtship and getting to know and sort of connecting and, and maybe your friends even cheering you on to I'm going to look up and somebody on an app and I'm going to hang out with them tonight. And that may be it. And that's kind of what culture has done. It's diminished the spiritual aspects and intimacy of real relationship. But the church is not innocent because we have our own problem. And this book is real and it is physical. And like I said, you know, sometimes in the church we, we, we shy away from the real and we shy away from the physical. But a marriage and a courtship is about kisses. It's about the fragrant smells. It's about everything that maybe makes us uncomfortable to talk about. And this is why it's important to know this, because the church has always been about the physical. In Scripture, it's always pointed us to the physical. But sometimes we make it about the spiritual. And we start to view ourselves as sort of disembodied souls trying to get to heaven when, when really what Scripture is saying is that it, the promise is in our physical bodies, the, the reality of what we can do with them. I mean, just think about it. When Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't just rise as some sort of spiritual being. He rose as a physical being that you could feel and touch. And the promise to each and every one of us is exactly the same. When the resurrection comes, when Jesus returns, the promise isn't for us just to be spiritually resurrected, symbolically resurrected. We're going to be physically raised from the dead, body and soul, physically be able to be touched because that means you're alive and that is the gift of the gospel is that you are no longer dead, but living. And the church sometimes forgets that. The body is real. There's nothing wrong with it. It's going to be redeemed like everything else in all of creation. The physical is important. It's how two become one. And so church and culture can mix all this stuff up and it can get a little bit squirrely. It's true. And this is what we're going to talk about, because the Song of Solomon does talk about some of this stuff. And, and uh, one of the sermons coming up, it talks about the foxes. Uh, the man and the woman are talking, and he, he encourages her to guard against the foxes that can kind of sneak into the dynamic. And, and there are a lot of foxes that can get into a relationship dynamic. And there are a lot of foxes that can change the way you think and feel and misunderstand what relationships are really about. And really what we're wanting is to understand that they're spiritual and physical, and in the midst of that reality, more than anything, we want them to be God-honoring. Because our relationships with our spouses do point to a bigger, greater future. Where there is a physical resurrection, and where there is never-ending life and celebration in how God has created us. And so we're going to lean in, <laughs> we're going to listen, and we're going to trust God as he helps us understand what it means to honor him, both spiritually and physically. In Jesus' name, amen.